Men for Battle Day by Day, a ministry of LifeBridge Church. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Men in Action at LifeBridge Church podcast. Today, we'll be listening to the testimony of Ralph Howe. You teach on a regular basis. You, you tell stories from your life. So I know I'm probably going to share one or two things that you guys have heard about my story, but it's really not my story. It's about Jesus. But uh, I'll kind of start where I am now. I've been married for 21 years uh, to a wonderful, godly woman. She was the second person I met at a church in town when I when I when I showed up, and I decided that was going to be my church. I didn't know anything about the the, the theology or philosophy or any of that, but the usher was really cute. So uh, that's how I decided to go to Discovery Church 20 22 years ago. And uh, so we have four kids, three girls and a boy. Uh, all four are teenagers. And uh, we are having a great time. We don't have any what you might call teenager issues happening. We have great kids. And our household is uh, lively and full and fun. So I'm a very, very grateful uh, person for my family life. It's incredible. Uh, the stability that I have in my marriage is only possible through Jesus. I grew up in New York, 1978. I was 13 years old. I was watching golf on TV, the British Open. Uh, it was being played at the old course at St. Andrews. My golf hero, Jack Nicklaus, won the tournament. And I was a golfer as a kid up to that point. That was the moment when I fell in love with golf and I said, I'm going to make a living and I'm going to travel the world playing golf. I fell in love with the old course, the scene behind the, the 18th green and the heather that would blow back and forth. Jack Nicklaus was a world conquering hero and seeing him win that thing, I just was enthralled with golf. So that was 1978. 1979, my parents got divorced. Uh, not to hang on this part of the story, but just so you understand, uh, bad marriage. My dad was a violent alcoholic, uh, went through bankruptcy, all this stuff. Uh, when my dad moved out, you know, he broke in one night. My mom called the police. I remember the police dragging my dad out in handcuffs out of the house, and that was how I grew up. And a lot of dysfunction. And in the midst of that, uh, my mom would take me to church. I had a good church experience as a kid up until the divorce. Uh, and then my mom kind of got mad at God, and, and so we didn't go in high school. So I go uh, through high school. I'm the, the big fish in the small pond. I'm the good athlete. I'm the, I'm the football guy. I'm the basketball guy. I'm the golf. I'm three sports, and my grades are decent. All that stuff on the outside. Uh, I started drinking uh, too much beer toward the end of my junior year, senior year, drinking way too much uh, with, the, with the drinking stupid crowd. We thought we were invincible. Started breaking and entering for fun. Kind of stupid, right? Um, we would break in the golf courses and uh, take the golf carts and drive them around at 2, 3 in the morning while we were drunk. We would steal the beer from the halfway house. That was how I spent most of the weekends my senior year. Uh, my dad was drunk in another part of town. My mom was in New York City every weekend with her boyfriend. So I pretty much had the run of things and I made a lot of bad decisions. And they were my decisions. There's no putting it on anybody else. But uh, one particular night we broke into the pro shop of our local golf course and uh, public course, kind of ni nice county course with a restaurant and the pro shop down below. Then there was this outdoor staircase, this black staircase went up to a second floor and it was a storage room. So my friend and I planned the whole thing, ski masks and everything, parked a mile away, jumped the fence at one in the morning, stole all the golf balls and got arrested. Uh, not that night, but got arrested when we broke in another night. So I was the typical criminal back to the scene of the crime and you get caught, went to jail. So, you know, it, it ended up being reduced to a misdemeanor and all that, you know, uh, but, but uh, I, I 
it's part of my story. And I just share it because in a minute I'll, I'll, I'll tie it back in. But so with that, I went off to college uh, down here in Florida, Florida Southern College in Lakeland. I was grew up in New York and golf was my thing. I was the big fish in the small pond. I beat everybody in New York. I won everything where I was from. Came down to Florida Southern. You do 10 rounds of qualifying for the team. And uh, I know I'm going to teach these Florida kids how to play golf, right? So I show up and we play a pretty nice little course first of the 10 rounds of qualifying, and I shot 73 in the first round, and I figure, well, I might be in the lead or maybe you know, top one or two of the 20 guys that are trying out. And I went to the leaderboard, and somebody had posted a 63. So I thought, man, we've got a cheater out here. You know, somebody, we got this guy. Somebody's got a, this guy's cheating, right? So the next day, uh, you know, I played really well. I shot 72, even par. It's a nice regulation golf course. So, okay, it's pretty good. I must have made up some ground. And I went to the scoreboard, and the guy that had shot 63 the day before shot 62. So after two rounds, I was 20 shots down. And that guy's name was Lee Jansen, and Lee Jansen went on to win two U.S. Opens, and he was the real deal. So that was kind of my introduction to, wow, this is what great golf is actually all about. I went through college, and uh, I played decent golf. Got involved with church for a short time my sophomore year, but it just wasn't ready to connect yet. I just wasn't there yet. Uh, the drinking calmed down. I drank in college and was stupid, but uh, it did calm down after a while. And, uh, but my whole thing was, was golf, you know. Fell in love with St. Andrews in 1978. My dream was to go there and play, play golf. Of course, I fell in love with the Masters. Everybody falls in love with the Masters if you're a golfer. And so Jesus wasn't on my mind. Church wasn't on my mind. But, but fulfilling my desires of playing professional golf was everything to me. I was very into new age. I was, I was influenced by it. Set your goals. Write them down. You can create your own reality. All that stuff. And I got out of college. I was a good college player. Decent. Uh, probably above average. But uh, long story short, I won a national championship that got me an invitation to play in the Masters. So I was 23 years old. I had just gotten out of college, and I had a Masters invitation in my hand. And um, that was pretty exciting. Ultimately, I played Augusta National 28 times, and that was crazy. Uh, and by the way, be careful when your dreams do come true, because I got to the first tee in the Masters, and that was the most terrifying moment of my life. Because I stood on the first tee. This is 1989, so some of you guys are younger, and you know, you're like, 1989? You know, did they play golf back then, right? But uh, just a real quick, I get on the first tee, and uh, I'm playing with Ray Floyd and Andy Bean in a practice round. It's practice round, but there's 2,000 people around the first hole, right? And uh, I'm just scared out of my mind. These, this is like playing with, you know, the two big, two of the biggest players of the day. And they both cream it right down the middle, you know, and I tee it up and my hands are shaking. And I'm like, you know, you know, and Andy Bean is, if you don't know, and if you don't know golf, I apologize, but he's a big boy. I mean, he's 6'3". He's all, I mean, he's, and he's got this deep southern voice. And he walks over and he just looks down at me and goes, Ralph, you look nervous. And I'm like, I'm like, Andy, you're a genius. How did you know? You know, how could you, how could you tell? Hell, you know, so he said, "Hey, listen. When you're nervous, just take a deep breath, relax your shoulders, and swing as hard as you can." So what he, I thought that's pretty good advice. That makes sense. So I relaxed my shoulders, took my deep breath. I'm lefty. I swung as hard as I could, and I topped it. Like I'm not kidding. Like I literally topped it. Like this is the Masters. <laughs> These are the best 94 players on the planet, supposedly. And I didn't just top it. I hit it off the heel of my club, and it shot into the crowd to the right, and it was bouncing off people like a pinball, right? And it's boom, boom. And there's 2,000 people around the first hole, and I'm like, you know, and 2,000 people at the same time. They all went, oh, <laughs> right? And I was like, ah, you know. 
So I won't tell you all the, the golf stories, but just, just, uh, just it was an amazing week. Uh, Tuesday, uh, I went off on my own because I was so nervous. I thought I got to calm down. I got to stop being starstruck. I just got to go out and work on my game. Played the front nine and, and everything went reasonably well. Got to the 10th tee and a group had cut in front of me. Practice round, you just kind of go where you're going to go. And these three guys were Gary Player, Bernhard Langer, and Seve Ballesteros. If you don't know those names, those are the biggest international games in the, names in, in golf. And uh, Seve Ballesteros was the most dynamic, you know, number one player in the world in the 80s. Uh, incredible person. And now he's right in front of me, 10,000 people watching, right? So we get to the 15th hole. I'm 235 yards to the green. It's over water. There's water behind the green. There's grandstands on both sides. There's 8,000 people. And I'm, I'm waiting for Seve to get off the green. And then all his crowd is going to move with him. But he's practicing because it's a practice round. He's got four balls and he's putting. Four balls up to the right side of the green from the front middle. But he looks back and he sees me waiting. So rather than complete, completing his putts and then walk off, he waves me up, which you do in a practice. And he waves me up, leans on his putter, and he's, he's Seve Ballesteros standing in the 15th green. And 8,000 people are watching Seve, and they all go like this, right? And here I am. You know? So I was terrified, and I hit this big toe hook, and it got over the water, went in the bunker on the right. Somebody, who's been to Augusta? Any of you guys been there? A couple of you. So anyway, I'm, my testimony has golf in it, so this is what I, I just need to tell the golf stories. My wife gets mad if I tell too many golf stories on Sunday morning, so I have to spread them out over like a 10-year period. But tonight, I'm getting them all in. Yeah, today's good. All right. So, um, but just super quick, just to say, because I'm a little, you know, telling you all the bad stuff. In the uh, first round of the Masters, I got to the 13th hole, par five, you know, Ray's Creek, water, 228 yards to carry the creek. My caddy says, lay up. I said, no, give me the three wood. I'm, I said, I'm not going to, I'm telling my kids I went for this. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, and I hit it over the green, hit the left side of the green, birdied the 13th hole. First round of the Masters, pretty exciting, right? Got the 15, I birdied 15. Uh, 17th hole, I hit six iron two feet and made birdie, so I birdied 17. And I'm coming up 18, first round of the Masters. I've just birdied three of the last five holes, and I've got eight iron into the green, and it landed a foot from the hole, almost landed in the hole, jumped 10 feet back, and then spun back and almost went in. And the crowd just gave this big roar because it was, you know, it was about a foot and a half from the hole. So I birdied four of the last six holes the first round. Every hair in the back of my neck standing up. I'm walking up the 18th hole of Augusta, just walking into my dream, you know. So I ended up missing the cut. I was a low amateur, which is a good thing. Fast forward this thing. I went to the Colonial Invitational from there, which is a PJ Tour event in Texas. Ben Hogan was still alive at the time. Uh, I got to spend one-on-one -on -one time with Ben Hogan, who's one of my heroes. Uh, when I met Ben Hogan, uh, he stood up, he shook my hand. Like, I shook his hand, and he shook my hand, put his other hand on my forearm, looked me right in the eye, and he said, young man, it is so nice to have you here at the Colonial. And my first words to Ben Hogan was, I'm sure it's nice for you to have me here. That's what I said to Ben Hogan. That's what I said to Ben Hogan. Right? Can you believe that's what I said to him? I'm sure it's nice for you to have me here. You know? So anyway, I had these amazing experiences. I got to play there. And then I flew to a world amateur event at the old course where the whole thing started on TV in 1978. I played pretty well. I ended up being in a medal, medal ceremony. I didn't win, but I got to be a part of a ceremony on the steps of the Royal and Ancient at the old course. And I came back home from that. And a sponsor, I had, I had been looking for sponsors, and I got a sponsor who gave me $140,000. Bought me a brand new car. I was 24 years old. I had played in the Masters, played in the World Amateur at the old course. 
and all my dreams had come true. And for me, 24 years old from the family I came from, $140,000 in the bank, might, have been, might as well have been 20 million. And I'll never forget September 1989, 7.30 in the morning, sat up on my left elbow, looked at my alarm clock, and I just felt a hole in my stomach as big as a Grand Canyon. And I thought, what is going on? And I was so empty and so unhappy. And I remember thinking, I've got a huge problem because if I'm unhappy now, in this season of my life, then what am I ever going to experience that's going to bring happiness? And so as I was wrestling with that dilemma, I was traveling to Florida to start my professional career. A friend of mine in college had witnessed to me. So you talk about witnessing the people, just plant the seed. This guy witnessed to me uh, through all the years he was on my golf team. His name was Greg Gamester. And, uh, you know, I'd come in hungover on Sunday morning to lunch just before it was over. He'd come in from church with his jacket and tie. We'd make fun of him behind his back and the God Squad and all that stuff. This guy always witnessed to me, always kind to me. I called him up, said, here's what's going on in my life. Started doing Bible study with me. Brought me to his church. I met with his pastor. They led me to faith in Jesus. And I just like you're saying, I, I said to the pastor, I, I, I need God in my life. What do, I, what do I do? He said, go back to your apartment. Get on your knees, confess your sin, ask Jesus to come into your life. And I did that. I cried for 20 minutes, got on my knees, started to confess my sin. And I wasn't like sobbing or bawling, but tears just kept rolling out of my eyes. And it was like cleansing. It was like, it was just genuine. For 20 minutes, I cried. It was amazing. And I'll never forget it. So, um, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes, I was reading that at the time, had a huge impact on me. You can be famous, you can have money, you can have women, you can have all that stuff. If you don't have God, it's all meaningless. Right? And it just made sense. And that was 30 years ago. And for 30 years ago, the grace of God has covered my life. I've been walking with them. It's been amazing. You know, I spent nine years playing professional golf. I called myself the leading money spender on tour. Right? I mean, I spent more money than anybody else. Right? Maybe, except for you, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm sure you didn't spend as much as I did. But I played, uh, I missed the tour school. You know, I was trying to get in the PGA Tour, and you have to qualify. And I didn't qualify right out of the bat. So I was playing small tours. And I was playing on the Hooters Tour, like Hooters restaurants, you know. Here I am, a new Christian. I'm out in the Hooters Tour. I was leading Bible studies every week. Didn't we meet out there? Or was it after? Yeah, was there a teardrop? <clears throat> yeah, it was one of those. I met at, you at Q School. You led the Bible study. So that was at Q School. <clears throat> Out in Palm Springs? No, that was in Pensacola, South Carolina. Oh, yeah, I remember. That's right. That's right. We talked on Daniel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so... Um, so I'm playing the Hooters tour, and I'm just in love with, with Jesus, and I'm in love with the Word of God. I can't, I can't believe everything in the Old Testament's about Jesus. I, I just, it's like the Bible's just coming alive to me. So I'm teaching Bible studies every week for nine years out on all the tours, overseas, everywhere. Um, and uh, so we're in Jackson, Mississippi, and I would make, I would rent the room. If we needed a conference room for the Bible, I would rent it myself. Um, I made the signs for the study myself. I did the studies. I taught the studies. I, I made little cards to hand out to every, all the players every week about here's where the Bible study is. And uh, I, just, I just believed in Jesus, and, 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 and I just wanted to tell people about him. So I'm in Jackson, Mississippi, and I'm putting the sign up, Hooters Tour Bible Study, you know, 730, days in, whatever, right? And uh, this, we're at a private club in Jackson, Jackson Country Club or something. And this lady in her late 60s, all dressed in her golf outfit, comes walking by and sees me putting the sign up. And she looks at the sign and she goes, Hooters? She goes, Bible study? Well, honey, what's the choir wear? Right? That's what she wanted to know. What's the choir wear? Right? <laughs> so it was an amazing journey for me to be a, a young Christian, still pursuing the golf dream, but now with Jesus in my heart, in my life, in my focus, 
And uh, they, my nickname out on the small tours was Ralph the Baptist. Uh, I baptized seven guys one, one year. I baptized a guy in, in the Indian Ocean in Indonesia, off Bali, Indonesia, a guy from, uh, from Sweden. And, uh, but I was one, just another quick story to it, and I'll be done here. But uh, it's all about Jesus, because walking with Jesus is the most real thing that I've ever experienced, you know. And I've had dry seasons of my walk with him where I've been frustrated or wondered, what's he doing in my life? I've experienced all that, but, but he's so real. And, and every day he's speaking to us and leading us. And life with Jesus is vibrant. There's nothing like it, right? And I don't say that because I'm a pastor. I say that because Jesus changed my life. Um, uh, matter of fact, let me, okay, let me go to Asia real quick. So the Hooters thing, and then I went to Asia because you go overseas to try to make money and gain experience. 12 weeks in Asia, um, 12 national championships in 12 weeks, you know, India, Thailand, all these places. Great experience. And uh, I played terribly that year. I'm a new Christian. All the guys were going, doing the stupid things, the immoral things you would do in Asia. I didn't do any of it. I brought my Bible, and I locked myself in my room, and I read my Bible. And I had my Bible and the Holy Spirit, and it was incredible. I grew so much. But I wasn't playing well, and I was frustrated, and I was losing money. And by this time, I had lost my sponsor. So obviously, stories are have twists and turns, and uh, I had almost no money left, and I was playing the Hong Kong Open just before coming back to America, and I made the cut. So I finally made a cut. I was going to make some money, and we take the bus out to the, to the course. All the players were on the bus, and I prayed on the bus. I said, God, I need something good to happen. I'm really discouraged. I'm literally halfway around the world. I'm out of money. My golf game stinks. I just need something. I just need to know you're there. You know, it was one of those prayers. I bet, I don't know if you guys ever prayed something like that. And, of course, I'm thinking the fifth hole, if you made a hole-in-one, you won a Jaguar, like a $70,000 car. You know, I'm thinking, let me make the hole-in-one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, right? So I get out there, and I go to the locker room. I go to the driving range. I'm warming up, and Seve Ballesteros is in the field. And he's, he's hitting balls right next to me because uh, we actually were tied at that. I was tied with Seve. How about that? Right? So I'm left-handed, so I'm hitting balls here. And Sebi's right next to me. So I'm hitting balls with the, one of the greatest golfers in the history of the game. And, and there's just thousands of people because they're watching him. But I'm warming up next to him. Turned out he was in the group behind me. So I go to the first tee, and then he's going to play behind me. So I get to the first tee, and everybody in Hong Kong is at the first tee because they're going to watch Sebi play, right? So they're waiting for him. So I'm nervous, but I hit it. And when I hit it, uh, one guy pops out of the crowd. This American guy comes following our, my group. It's to me and one other guy, Twosome. So he's walking, and I thought, well, he must be just getting out of the crowd to get a better look at Seve from the fairway. So um, we hit our second shots. He follows us to the green. Second hole's par three. He follows us. Third hole, we hit our tee shots. Thousands of people following Seve on number two, and this one American guy is following my group. And so I was close to the gallery ropes, and I just kidded with him. I said, hey, you know, you're missing all the action. The good guys are behind us, you know, just kidding with him. And he looked at me with a serious look, and he said, he said, Son, let me tell you something. He said, I'm a missionary from New Jersey. And he said, tomorrow I'm smuggling Bibles to mainland China. He said, but I love golf, so I came out today to watch the tournament. And he said, when I saw you on the driving range warming up, the Spirit of God told me to pray for you. He said, I want you to know I'm going to walk with you all day, and I'm praying for you. Like, like that happened in my life. Like that's a real story. I was two or three years into my Christian walk, and I prayed that prayer in the bus, and that happened to me. 
That's unbelievable. Later in the year, I was at a PGA Tour event. I was at the Bible study, and I told that story thinking, oh, this is a great story. I'm going to tell everybody. And one of the guys on the PGA Tour, who I will not name, um, he said, well, it's obvious why the guy prayed for you. He said, when he saw you swinging on the driving range, he knew you were going to need help, right? So that's the kind of support you get on the PGA Tour, right? So I could tell you those stories all day, and you could tell me those stories all day. Um, but I'm just going to finish with, uh, uh, I didn't tie this story together too well, but I'm going to finish it anyway. Uh, when I had gotten arrested in 1983, uh, my, my dad, I loved my dad. He passed away four years ago, and he did the best he could with what he had. Uh, but he wasn't very supportive when I got arrested. Let's just, we'll just leave it at that. My high school golf coach was someone I deeply looked up to and admired. And um, his name was T Coach Gamboli, Tony Gamboli. And... He called me when I, when I came out of jail, and my mom answered the phone. She said, Ralph, coach is on the phone. Now, I, I had embarrassed the golf team. I mean, I, you know, I had embarrassed the coach, all that. I didn't want to talk to him. I said, Mom, I don't want to talk to him. Like, I, I just, my dad had just kicked me out of his house and chased me down the street and threw a chair at me. I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I can't handle it from the coach. You know, she's like, no, no, you need to talk to him. So I get in the phone, and Coach Gamboli, who was not a Christian, uh, he was a faithful attender of church at that time in his life, but he was not a born-again believer. Uh, he said, Ralph, I want you to know something. He said, sometimes you can uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. He said, I want you to know I don't like what you did, but I love you. He said, I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to make sure you get through this. That was in 1983. That was amazing, right? So fast forward, I, I come to faith in Jesus, and I want Coach Gamboli to get saved, and I witness to him nothing. Next year, I invite him to a, a big Christian dinner with 250 people and a speaker, nothing. And then I'm running a Christian junior golf camp at Pine Needles, North Carolina in 2001. And uh, I invite him to the camp to be our putting coach. Long story, guys, super short. Uh, he comes to faith in Jesus. We do an altar call at the camp for kids. This is middle school, high school kids, about 90 people. He's there as the putting coach. He's in the back and we do an altar call. And I look up, he's got tears streaming down his face. And he comes forward, and I got to pray with him from the receive Jesus. I'd like to tell you more of that story, but I'll just leave it there. That was in July. In October, I fly to New York to visit my parents, and I call Coach, and I say, Hey, Coach, I'm in town. He said, Hey, you got to come over. He said, Ralph, I want you to get my family saved. Right? <laughs> I'm like, Coach, it doesn't work that way, right? That's not how this works. I mean, I'll be glad to preach. No, no. He said, Listen, you're coming to my house tomorrow night. Bring your Bible, and you got to get my family saved. I'm like, okay, coach, I'm coming over, because you don't tell the coach no. Mike's met him. So, um, so I go to his house, have my Bible in the front seat of the car, because he's got his wife. He's got more than uh, one kid, but, but his daughter and her husband, who is a football, she was a social studies teacher at the high school, public school, and he was a football coach and, and social studies teacher. So they're married. And uh, I know her, I don't know him. And I'm a little bit like intimidated, like, coach, I can't just walk in with my Bible and start preaching to your family. And uh, so I leave the Bible on the front seat of my car. I knock on the front door and he's like, where's your Bible? I was like, coach, is he? I'm like, it's in my car. Go get your Bible. So I, I go get the Bible. Long story short, I wish I could tell you the whole story, but um, I sit down at the table and I start talking about Jesus. And I watch it, the, the, Rob, the son-in-law, his whole face just changes, and he goes, this makes total sense to me. He said, I want, I, want, I want to invite Jesus into my life. So I pray with him to receive Jesus. The next morning, I get a call from Rob's best friend, 
whose father is a pastor who's been witnessing to Rob since they've been in elementary school. Rob had a bad experience in Catholic Church and wanted nothing to do with church or Christians or Christianity. Complete wall up. And this guy's name is Jimmy. He said, what did you do last night? I said, nothing. I just was a little bit nervous and I told him about Jesus. He said, I got to meet you. Right? He said, I, he said, I've been witnessing to him for his entire life and he's never budged. Right? So then the coach calls. He says, hey, we're doing another Bible study. You got to get my daughter saved. <laughs> now I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? So, so I go and uh, long story short, so Jim shows up. The pastor's son shows up. We're there. Rob's just glowing. And the pastor's son brought a worship like CD, and we thought, well, we'll play some of that before we do a Bible study. We're playing a worship CD, and his daughter Suzanne just starts bawling. And she says, God is in this place. She said, I, I've never felt like this before. She comes to faith in Jesus. So, two of them for the last 20 years have been leading after school Bible studies at the public school where I grew up. Pretty amazing. Last part of the story, I'm going, Phil, you're, gonna, you're never going to invite us back here. We're going way too long on you. Let me see, how am I doing here? Yeah, all right, all right. Um, so I'm all, this is all to build to the final point here. Um, so the next summer, Coach calls me. Coach has been running a golf tournament for 280 people every summer for 25 years. It's a scholarship to raise money for kids that need money for, for college. He's a great guy. He runs this thing. I played in it in middle school, high school, college, all that stuff. He calls me up the next summer and says, hey, you're coming to the Zeller. It's called the Bill Zeller. And he said, uh, uh, I want you to be the keynote speaker, and I want you to tell everybody about Jesus. I'm like, coach, it doesn't work that way. You know? It's like, this isn't like a Christian event in any way. This is beer and hot dogs. It's, it's double shotgun, 7.30 in the morning, 1 in the afternoon. Everybody gets drunk and comes to the dinner. This is everybody in my hometown that I've ever known. And he said, I want you to come and tell everybody what Jesus has done in your life. And uh, so I was like, okay. So I come up, I play my round of golf, everybody's drinking, it's hot dogs for breakfast, all this stuff, and it's time for the dinner. So I'm in the dinner, and it's about 10 minutes before I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus, tell everybody about my testimony in my hometown, you know, where I grew up. And so I walk outside because I'm really nervous. I get about 50 yards from the pro shop. It's dark, kind of the moon, silhouette, and I'm praying, saying, God, is there anything that you want me to share that I, I haven't prepared and I just praying, and I just said, guys, is there anything you want to say to me before I go in there? And I just had a sense, I didn't hear a voice, but I had a sense that God said, yeah, Rob, I have something to say to you. And you got to understand, I'm standing there 50 yards from the pro shop, and it hits me. This is where I broke into in 1983. I'm standing there looking at the pro shop, looking at the, at the 25 steps up to the door that I broke into and stole all the golf equipment, you know, in 1983. And I'm standing there looking at that, and God says, yeah, I've got something to say to you. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> right? And here's what I felt like God said in my spirit. He said, Ralph, in this place where you had your greatest moral failure, in this place where you lied and you stole and you cheated, I brought you back to share about my grace in your life. And that's one of the moments in my life that has marked me forever. Because God knew that I had carried that shame around my whole life. He knew that I was carrying that shame. And he said, Ralph, I don't want you to carry that shame. So we're going to deal with this tonight, and it's going to be done. And I walked in there, and I told my whole town about Jesus, and it was awesome. And Tony Gamboli, to this day, is telling people about Jesus every day. He's an on-fire, born-again Jesus freak, and it's awesome. Uh, but the, the summary of my testimony is, I, I believe God is good. I believe He's righteous and holy and good, and He wants people to be saved. And uh, I believe Jesus died and rose again, and His Spirit is present with us tonight. 
And that's the hope of my life. And I have a great marriage. I have wonderful kids. My finances are stable. And it's only and all because of Jesus in my life. Because apart from him, there's no way me and my own, on my own strength with the start that I got, with the decisions I would have been making apart from him, that I would ever have the life I have. And I have a life beyond what I could have dreamed about. It's all because of Jesus. Thank you for listening. May God bless your day. We'd love for you to join us next week in person on Tuesday evening or Thursday morning for our My Story series or join us for our next podcast. Until then, God bless.